today is uh, Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And I've got uh, uh, Don Fento here. I asked him, I said, could you come up here and just talk to us a little bit? You probably want to come up here so everyone can see you. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Well, God has a calendar and we have a calendar. Our calendar was established by Pope Gregory in 1582, and God uses it, but that's not his calendar. Uh, His calendar starts 14 days before Passover. That's the beginning of the new year. And tonight, remember that a biblical day begins in the evening. You rest before you work. And so tonight at sunset is the beginning of the seventh biblical month, Tishri, and it's biblically the Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah is the Jewish term for it nowadays because they call it, Rosh Hashanah means Happy New Year, or, you know, Head of the Year, but it's the Head of the Civic New Year. It's not actually Head of the Biblical New Year. But God has, has ful- Jesus fulfilled all the fall, the, the spring feast already. That was Passover. You know that he was killed on Passover. He was raised from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits three days later, and he poured out his spirit on 50 days later at Pentecost. And let me just give you a little bitty snippet on that thing. You know, if you read in Leviticus, you'll know that they were to have selected, or back in Exodus, they were selected the lamb for the slaughter on the 10th day of Nisan. And then he was to be slaughtered so that they began the Passover on the 14th day of Nisan in the evening. Well, If you look at John's gospel in John 12, you'll find that six days before Passover, uh, such and such happened, which would have been the ninth of Nisan. The next day, John 12, 12 says, the next day, which would have been the 10th of Nisan, which was the triumphal entry. What did they do on the triumphal entry? They chose the lamb to be slaughtered. What do you do with the lamb on the 10th day, from the 10th to the 14th? You examine him to be sure that there's no flaw in him. And so what did they do? They examined him, all kinds of questions. What was the last thing Pilate said? I find no fault in him. In other words, he's a flawless lamb. Go ahead and kill him. This is the way God fulfills his biblical feasts. So tonight is the Feast of Trumpets. Hello. Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 15 or 1 Thessalonians 4 about trumpets? It's a proclamation of what is to come. Amen. So if you've got any kind of horn in your house, a shofar or any kind of horn, get it out and go look at the moon because it will be a little sliver of a moon if you can see it. It's the new moon. It's the first day of the month. Fourteen days later will be the full moon. And then, so so this is Feast of Trumpets. Ten days later, on the evening of October the 9th, begins the Day of Atonement, the the solemn day of when the high priest was to go in the holy place. Five days after that begins the Day of Tabernacles. So, Feast of Trumpets, announcing what's happening. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, judgment. Five days later, we live together. So this is the biblical feast. I just urge you, lean into it, to the glory of God. Awesome. There you go, right there. Can I give you this? Well, that just falls right in with uh, what we're going to be talking about, which is still talking about the atonement and everything that was 
not only just fulfilled, but what Jesus provided for us. And it's just so, I, I probably got carried away first service in my review because I love the things that I'm reviewing. I love the things that we've talked about. And for me, the, the, the dilemma is, is I know that there's some of you that have, you're not privy to the 15 weeks that we've been studying. This is week number 15. Which 15 weeks, what's that on, the, what's that on our calendar? When, when did I start this? Somebody figure that one out. Henry, when's, what's 15 weeks? You're good at math. Yeah, no, how many? 15 weeks ago was what? Yeah. <laughs> February the 11th. <laughs> anyway, we've been looking at this for 15 weeks. And it's something that I normally teach uh, in second year at the school. And it's a, it's a four-session uh, class. And uh, I didn't, you know, it was kind of concerned I wouldn't have enough material. I wasn't planning on making this 15 weeks, but it just continues to unpack. And so if anything, right now, we need grace to hear because again, you know, what I've been trying to tell us and, and to, to, uh, to, to kind of jolt us, jolt our attention is our, our brains are so clever that if we hear something twice, if we hear something in a repetitive nature, our brain has a tendency to push pause or go to sleep and, and snooze button and just, I've already heard this, and our brains think that we have it, but we don't have it. Because what's to be gotten is actually eternal, and it's a revelation that actually brings transformation. And so what I, my aim is, is that we would be a people who are transformed by the goodness, the kindness, the sacrifice of what Jesus has done. And to be, a, not only just be aware of what he's done, but to walk in it. To be a people that experience this, that walk in it. And so anyway, so Father, Lord, I ask in the name of Jesus for grace. Grace, Lord, for the speaker, grace for the hearer, uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would re-illuminate us, that you would cause the, the, the things that have been talked about, the seeds that have been planted, Lord, that they would even go deeper in the soil of our heart, Lord, this morning. I pray for that. I ask, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would fend the birds of the air, the spiritual birds of the air, away from the seed that is going to be planted, from the way from the seed that has been planted. And Lord, for those of us that have been tricked by the enemy, where the enemy has tried to pull the seed out due to our circumstances or whatnot, Lord, I ask, Lord, that, that just like you told Jonah, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I ask, Lord, that the word would be reinstituted, you know, re replanted, Lord, in the soil of our heart, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just the things that I've been talking about, uh, uh, the, the first thing I'd like to go back to, I would love to go back and talk about this verse right here uh, at length. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. This chair up here represents the throne where, where God sits. And just like the legs are the foundation of this chair, it says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. That means that his throne, his government sits on righteousness and justice. Righteousness being delivered, justice being administered, righteousness being upheld, justice being delivered. And so the government that he sits on, he's a just God, he's a fair God. And the, th the thing that I wanna draw us, our attention back to was when Adam and Eve took a bite of that, that piece of fruit, it was a whole lot more happened than what we give credit to. Whole lot more happened because 
up until that point, um, God and man, so to speak, Adam and Eve, they had great, they had perfect relationship with each other. And as soon as that happened, what happened was God told them, in the day that you eat it, you will die. And so even though there wasn't like a physical death that happened, there was a spiritual death in that there was an estrangement now between God and man. And so when God was walking through the, uh, through the garden looking for Adam and Eve and he couldn't find them, he said, where are you? They said, well, we're hiding because we were naked. He said, who told you you were naked? And then he said, have you eaten from the fruit that I've told you not to eat from? I said, well, it wasn't me, it was her. And then she said, well, it wasn't me, it was it. And so we watch as God goes and addresses the serpent, the woman, and the man. He begins to uh, uh, relate the consequences of what has happened. And, and not only is it the consequences, but actually the justice side of his throne is now being administered. And so... <clears throat> Throughout that, now, if, you, if I could say it like this, now we have, a, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Man and God are separated. And how does man get back to God is one side of the equation. The other side, I'll go ahead and give it away. How does God get back to man? And so we talked about <clears throat> Exodus 25, 22, <clears throat> God has this plan. He delivers a nation, brings them out into the wilderness, and uh, uh, sets this mountain on fire and uh, calls Moses up and says, uh, Moses, come up to me. I want to speak to you. And then Moses sits there for six days in silence. God's not speaking to him. On the seventh day, God begins to speak to Moses and say, here's why I brought you here. I want you to build me this, this tabernacle. And here's the dimensions and here's the colors and here's what it's gonna be made out of and here's the height and here's the, all, all that sort of stuff. And then he says about this thing called the atonement cover, he says, I will meet you there and I will talk to you from above the atonement cover and from there I will give you my instructions and my directions. And so, which again, because this is part of the, 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 the biblical reading that we kind of just gloss right over, or at least I do, gloss right over like, okay, when, is, when am I finished with this one? Um, but we miss the, the thing that God is saying. He is saying, basically, I own the earth and all that it contains, and I'm telling you, I can only meet with you here. It's like, huh, what's so special about Here. I thought you owned Jupiter and Saturn and China and Indonesia. I thought you owned all of that. So no, I can only meet you here. And here is this place called the atonement or the atonement cover. What happens here? There's something that happens significantly, that's significant that happens here that's able to join God and man again. And it talks about this in Leviticus 17, 11. If you have your Bibles, I, I, I'm going to ask you, please, please follow along. You, you, you want to see this. I know it's easy sitting out there and, and I can just do all this. I can go quick. So I need to catch myself to ask you to follow along. It's really important that you see this in your whatever device, Bible, whatever it is that you're looking at. Leviticus 17.11 <clears throat> says this, for, I, for the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. 
So God is pointing to, I have given, for the life of the body is in its blood. So the life of a sheep, of a goat, of a ram, of a dove is in its blood. The question is, what is the life of Jesus? What, what does the blood represent about the life of Jesus? What does that tell us about the life of Jesus? That's a whole different the, the, this, this thing that, 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 that God is talking about, this sacrifice, he's looking forward. He's looking forward in time. When he says, I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you. Immediately, I'm thinking about John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his only begotten son. I have given you the blood on the altar the other thing I wanted to draw your attention to, I, I'm going to go backwards. This phrase that says, I will meet you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover. As we've been looking at this and studying this, I've always had this hunch that I will meet you there means a lot more than just meeting you down at the you know, soda shop or whatever and shaking hands and then from there we'll go. It, it's much more than that. The, uh, uh, the word meet is also the same word for betroth. I will betroth you there. From there, we will relate. Say, like, oh, there's something to the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus, that actually brings us back into relationship with God. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. The exchange, it implies a substitute. The sacrifice of Jesus was a substitute. It was a substitute for me. It's a substitute for you. So, and then in Isaiah, surely he, only he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The punishment, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. So he took sicknesses, pains, transgressions, iniquities, punishment for peace and healing. He took on the sins of, for the outer man and also for the inner man. He paid the price for both of those. So, that brings us to what we've been talking about. We've been talking about the whole message of this life. Remember we talked about how that I'm really familiar with part of the message of this life. The inner man, the whole iniquities, the sins, it's a whole lot easier for me to believe that than it is for me to believe that his body actually paid for the healing of my body. He took the sicknesses upon him. It's the whole message of this life is what we're looking at. So <clears throat> I want to go back to where we were a, a few weeks ago. We were talking about the seed. Actually, we're talking about this, this verse right here, it's like sometimes the Holy Spirit 
just lines me up with one verse or a part of a verse, and I can't get off of part of the verse, and this is one of those instances where Jesus has just spoken another parable and said, you know, the kingdom of God is like the, the sower that goes out to sow seed, and some fell by the wayside, some fell in the rocky places, some fell here, some fell here. Well, his disciples pulled him aside and said, what, what's the mean? First of all, why do you do that? And then he, he explains that. And then secondly, what does this mean? And so Jesus says, the first sentence is, the, for the, this is the meaning of the parable in Luke 8, 11. The seed is God's word. And I felt from the Holy Spirit that we are to stop right there. The seed is God's word. God's word is the seed. God's promises come to us in seed form. Why is that so important? Because if we don't understand that God's promises come to us in seed form, we'll be looking for the mature plant. And when we don't see the mature plant, we think we've missed it. So if I have an apple seed, I can, I can say, here's an apple seed. I can also say, here's an apple tree. And so, well, Jeff, that's not an apple tree because I don't see the fruit or the leaves. Oh, no, no, it's an apple tree. Promise you, it's an apple tree. And so the seed, the seed is God's word or God's promise. So think about the words that have been given to you, that God has spoken to you. What are those words? I want you to remember those. What if the words that the Lord has spoken to you about you, about your future, was, is actually a seed and it's actually going to continue to happen and grow. I was thinking about that verse in Joshua 23, where Joshua tells the children of Israel, you know, in verse 14, you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words with the, which the Lord spoke which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. So let me read that again. You know in all of your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you, not one of them has failed. So I would tell you the words that the Lord has spoken to you they're not gonna fail. They can't fail because it's in a seed form. That seed is in an imperishable seed. The seed can't be, can be killed, can't be destroyed. It's in an imperishable seed. So the promise, when the promise is given, we can miss it because we don't see the evidence of it. And if we don't understand that it's in a seed form, we'll miss it. So all of those places where you thought you missed it, ta-da, you haven't. And like all seeds, when you put the seeds into the good ground, it has the power to grow and to do its own work. Okay? So, the seed is the word of God or God's promise. Now, 
The reason we're saying all this is because another verse that the Lord has invited us into at the beginning of the year was he asked us to step into, to experience, to step in, to delve into understanding the scriptures and how it correlates with the power of God and vice versa. Okay? My, so your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. There's no condemnation. He's the, it, it's, he, Jesus is he's the kindest person ever. He's just saying this as a matter of fact because there's a whole lot more back here, Jeff, that you haven't experienced yet, and I'm inviting you to come in, but your problem is is that you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Great. You got me. Let's go. And so we talked about this, and so I'm just, again, in review, what I want to suggest to us is what if the Scriptures and the power of God were synonymous? The smart aleck side of me is wanting to go somewhere and I'm trying to pull it back. What if the scriptures and the power of God were synonymous? Immediately, that's going to change the way that I view the scriptures. The seed is God's word. The scriptures. In the scriptures is found the power of God. What if the seed, which is God's word or his promise, was something that has to be planted in the soil of my heart before any result can happen? Ah. Look at Psalms 107. Psalms 107, verse 20, says this. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their, from their destructions. What does this mean? That means that there is no word of God that comes without power. There's another translation that said, he, he sent his word and it healed them. What, what, what healed him? The word. Remember the centurion in Luke 7 or 8? He says, hey, could you come heal my, my, my servant? Jesus said, I'm on my way. As he's on his way, the, this guy gets a revelation. He said, oh, no, no, you don't have to come to me. You don't have to come to my house. I, I, I'm a man under authority just like you are. I just tell this one to go and he goes and this one to come and he comes. Just say the word. Just say the word, it'll happen. And Jesus was like, whoa, I have not seen faith like this even in Israel. Just say the word. He sent his word and healed them. The seed is God's word. The seed is the promise of God. Satan cannot stop the seed from doing its work unless we allow him to get the seed out of the ground. Satan cannot stop the seed from doing its work unless we allow him to get the seed out of the ground of our heart. The way that he gets the seed out of the ground is by getting us to turn our attention away from the promise, the word, and to focus on our surroundings 
which may be our inabilities, our insecurities, our symptoms, our, it doesn't matter. Just get our, get, get our attention off of that and he can come in and pull the seed out of the ground. So, however, by paying deliberate attention to the promise, by us paying deliberate attention to the promise, to the word, to the seed, is how we keep the seed in the ground. By paying deliberate attention to the word. So you say, well, how do you do that? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four, verse 20. Starts out by saying this, my child, pay attention to what I say. Stop right there. Pay attention to what I say. Jesus said a couple of things. Be careful how you hear. Be careful what you hear. Two ditches. How you hear, what you hear. Now this guy's saying, be, listen, listen to what I'm about to tell you. That's what he's saying. Pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. So this is pretty important. So what I wanna do is I wanna break this verse down or these verses down and look at them line upon line. My child, pay attention to what I say. Pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. So the first step in keeping the seed in the soil of our heart is to do this right here. Pay attention to what I say. Pay attention to what he says. Pay attention to the word. Listen carefully to my words. Oh, sorry. Pay attention. There's, there's another... Uh, Translation, it says, incline your ear. In other words, incline, bend your ear. Well, the thing about it is, is truth be told, you can't bend your ear. I can wiggle my ear, but I can't bend my ear. No, what bends is my neck. My head can bend. So in order for me to bend my ear, I have to bend my head. As I bend my head, I, I, I am uh, uh, showing a posture of humility, that's what he's referring to. Don't think you know everything is what he's saying. Bend your ear. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen carefully to what I'm saying. So remember, the one who is speaking is referred to in Titus chapter two, verse one, and God who cannot lie. This is good. And God, who cannot lie, listen carefully, incline your ear, bend your ear. Then he says, don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. Don't lose sight of them. Don't be distracted by your symptoms. Can I just tell you, the symptoms and the seed are in constant conflict. Constant conflict. There's a conflict that is happening. There's a war that is happening. It's between the seed and the symptoms. This verse is saying, 
Pay attention. Don't lose sight of the promise. Don't lose sight of what I've said. Don't lose sight. Read the words of God just as they are written. Take it literally. What if we took the Bible literally? They lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What if we took that literally? Just, by the way, we're starting to. They told me uh, last week during the healing rooms, everyone got healed. Okay. Let them penetrate. That has to do with, sorry. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. You know what that is? It's meditating. Meditate. Say the same thing that he says. Say it with your mouth. Say the same thing that he's, read scripture out loud. There's, it's, it's amazing. Pray the scripture. You don't know what to pray? Pray the scripture. Just plop your Bible open to Psalms and just take off. Say the same thing he says. Let them penetrate. It will penetrate. It will begin to get into you. In 1 Peter, we're talking about, this is an imperishable seed. I talked about this a while ago. The good thing is, is the promise or the seed, it's an imperishable seed. It cannot die. It can't be destroyed. This promise that you've been given cannot be destroyed. This promise that you've been given cannot be destroyed. It can be stolen. It can't be destroyed. So again, the seed and the symptoms, they are constantly at, at odds. They are constantly in battle. Let me ask you this. What is the evidence that God has answered your prayer? What is the evidence that God has not answered your prayer? Could I suggest that the answer probably has to do with the presence or the absence of our symptoms? There's truth in that. It's not the whole truth. The word of God is an imperishable seed. The seed cannot die. This seed that cannot die, if it's planted in the soil of our hearts, when we believe, it actually causes the promise to come true, to come forth. All right. Then it says, the last verse, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. These words, they bring life to those who find them. These words bring healing to their body. The Hebrew word for healing is medicine. They bring life and healing. The actual words are like medicine. They bring life and healing, but they don't bring them to everyone. They bring them to those who find them. So with that, here's one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end there. I'm gonna, I felt, so I came in here with a whole other side of things to talk about, and I felt like at the first service, the Lord said, nope, please stop there. This is a whole other teaching, so I'm going to stop right there. But the thing that I would like for us to, to get into our spirits is the truth of this verse, of these verses right here. This will be the sign of those that believe. They'll lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. 
What if we took the Bible as it actually says and believed what it actually said? The place where I feel like that the enemy has come in and he's stolen this verse from us is when we come in and we ask for prayer and we don't see anything happen immediately. So we think, didn't happen, I didn't have enough faith, something's wrong. Nope. Sometimes healing is a process and we don't understand that. Sometimes the promise is a seed. Good? Good. Okay. Let's stop right there. Let's stand if you would. I told you guys before, I would love to, uh, I'm not going to, it sounds, this is, this is a smart aleck part of me coming out, which... But would love to, anybody that needs healing, you know, raise your hand and us, you know, people go around and pray and then ask for a show of hands. How many people got healed? And you'd see people that would raise their hand and wave their hands. How many people didn't get healed? And watch the number of people that wave their hand and then ask the question, how do you know? How, how do you know you didn't get healed? It's a process. They will recover. I told you about the guy who this... Uh, he was a racquetball player. Actually, he was try, going to try out for the Olympics. This was a long time ago. He uh, was trying out for the Olympics and hurt his knee, had hurt his knee for several years and came up for prayer one Sunday, prayed for him. And um, uh, he came back to me the next Sunday and said, you know what? Uh, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I woke up in excruciating pain. Thursday, there was no pain at all. And now I'm completely healed. Like this is bizarre. And so this is what, that, that is what this is pointing to. So if you are needing healing, do not let the enemy steal the healing from you because you don't see anything right now. Scripture says they'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And God who cannot lie. So Father, Lord, we come before you. We are here because of this place right here. Are you meeting us here? because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus and everything that it is paid for. Lord, we have, now we have peace with God. I, Jeff Dollar, now have peace with God. Having been justified by faith, I now have peace with you. Father, I ask over, over this body, I ask, or just, I ask, Lord, for fresh revelation that you'd continue, Holy Spirit, would you wake us up? Would you bring things to our remembrance? Would you open up the scriptures to us? Lord, would you open up the scriptures to us? Like you did uh, with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, would you open up the scriptures, Lord? I ask, Lord, we, we thank you. We th thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing, everything that you've done. Thank you, Lord. Just pray that the peace and the presence of the Lord would be with you. In Jesus' name, amen.